I hope you will get as excited with me as you can. Let's open up God's Word. Acts chapter 16. In this series, this is week number six. Some of you have been here every week, man. Praise the Lord for that. Some of you have missed here and there because of school. No matter what your situation is, we're glad you've made it to the last one of the, of the, of the first half of the semester. So in this series, our series, you'll see the graphic on the screen, the series is titled Be A Blessing, and this has been the series we have walked through for the last six weeks. And what we have chosen to do is we've chosen to walk through some of the biggest moments in the book of Acts. So we've covered Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Last week we did 13, and this week we skip ahead a little bit again to end with chapter 16. And the heartbeat of this series has been the simple truth that we can all agree on is that all of us in this room have been blessed. We have things we don't deserve. We have good things. We have gifts. We have people. If you don't have anything else, you got people. You got parents or you have friends or you have something. You have been blessed. You have something in your life. And we know in the Bible, James 1 tells us every good and perfect gift is from our Father above. He gives us all good gifts. So the idea of this series is that not one of us can say that we're not blessed. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go through hard times. We, we experience loss. We experience death. We experience trials and rejection and persecution. Like, we go through hard times as well. But just like Job said in his book, he said, who are we to accept the blessings of God and not accept the trials of God? Right? And so all of us have been blessed. We have things we don't deserve. A lot of us drove here tonight. We have a vehicle that we can get in and we can drive in at any point. We have clothes. We have a shelter. We have food. The whole idea of this series is that when you look at Jesus' teachings and when you look at the early church, what they grabbed a hold of very early is this statement right here. If we want anything to last, we have to give it away. Anything that we hold on to and try to cling on to our own will pass away. This world is passing away. The possessions we have are passing away. But what we gain from heaven does not pass away. Store up for yourselves treasures, not on earth, but in heaven, where nor rust can hurt. So we have blessings. And because we have blessings, we're called to give that away. We're called to be a blessing, to bless those in our lives. How many of you at any point in your life has had somebody do something for you that was beyond kindness and beyond anything you could be grateful for? Has anybody ever done that for you? And praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In the Bible, Jesus is very clear. Love one another as you would want to be loved. You love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as I love them, as Christ loves them. That we are called to show a supernatural love to people. Now tonight, here's where we land to finish our series. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. I hope that you had some notes from this semester. Here's what I want you to write down. The title of our sermon is this, be a blessing. The last one in the series, where we're landing the plane, is be a blessing. And what I want us to do tonight is I want us to take a look at Acts chapter 16. I want us to see a moment in Scripture between Paul and the jailer. Now, some of you may be familiar with this text. Some of you, this may be your first time reading it. And I love that because of the view, we have a lot of firsts. I remember when I first started coming to Bellevue, we would do prayer times like what we just did in this room. We do prayer times in the room. Pastor would say, hey, get with somebody and pray with them. I remember being really afraid the first time I did it. And I remember early on, I was like, man, I don't understand why we do this. This is like a meet and greet. I was like, why are we getting in groups? Why are we praying? I was like, this is a filler for the service. I used to, I used to judge whenever we would do it. I was like, oh, we need something else to do for time, right? Like, let's get together with people and pray. Until 
I did it at the view one time at our old building. I said, hey, man, tonight I feel led. Let's, let's pray in groups. Give us somebody you know. And I wasn't planning to do that. So that night we got in groups to pray. I thought it was really cool. It was really sweet. I enjoyed doing it in the service and giving people a real opportunity to be known in the service, to actually speak and share prayer requests. But I didn't realize the weight of it. And maybe this is your story tonight. I didn't realize the weight of it until somebody came up to me after the service and they said, man, you know, I didn't know who they were. I said, yeah, what's going on? Talk to me, you know. And they said, that, that was my first time. I said, for real? First time at The View? That's awesome, man. Glad you're here. They said, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. That was my first time ever praying out loud in front of somebody else. They said, that's, for me, huge. Because to be known, to speak, even to somebody you don't know, to open up and share a prayer request is a blessing. And it gives you the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. It's the tiny, tiny things that make a difference. Well, in this moment in Acts, what we're going to see is Paul and Silas are in prison. And for them, they got chains on. They're locked up. They can't go anywhere. None of us in here would wish to be in prison. This is not a circumstance any of us want. We're not jealous of their situation. We're not jealous of their circumstances. Every single one of us in here love our freedom. In fact, even more than that, we love our personal freedom. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And they're chained up. They're locked up. And an amazing moment is going to happen between Paul and Silas and the jailer. And it's a moment that I hope we learn from and can take with us into this week. So if you will, look with me at chapter 16. And let's start reading what happens tonight in the journey of Paul and Silas. Now, this is chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 25. It says this. About midnight, as they were in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. It's not just Paul and Silas there. They'll look at the next sentence. And the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. This is an amazing supernatural moment. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. And let me remind you why. At that time, any jailer or any guard who had prisoners escape on their watch, they were put to death. So when this jailer realizes what has happened, when the jailer realizes that Paul, Silas, and the other prisoners are about to escape, he realizes they're going to take his life if he doesn't. So that's what's at stake for him. So he draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself. But miraculously, Paul and Silas don't leave. Look at what it says. Even though they had this moment of freedom, verse 28 says, But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. Now, can you imagine being the jailer? We always put ourselves in Paul's shoes. <laughs> imagine being the jailer. The prison doors come open. You realize your life's over. You're going to be put to death. And you hear criminals, <laughs> the prisoners, tell you, hey, don't kill yourself. We're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. Can you imagine how sweet that would have been to the ears to hear in this moment? And this is how sweet it was to the jailer's ears. Look at how he responds immediately. Look at this. This is very fascinating. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and it says he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Verse 30, he escorted them out and he said this, one of the best questions you can ever ask in your life. Sirs, plural, what must I do to be saved? 
What must I do to be saved? If you're a Christian, do you remember when you asked that question about your life? When your sin became so heavy to the point which you realized you couldn't pay for the payment of that sin, that you needed somebody else, perfect and sinless, to pay the payment for your sin. Do you remember when you asked this question, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember who told you the gospel of Christ, that somebody has died for you, that you can't pay that payment, but by the shed blood of Jesus, there is hope and there is redemption for you. And then if you remember when you asked this question, if you remember when you got saved, does it still bring you joy or are you numb to it? Has the salvation that you and I have been given from Jesus, the fact that we are saved, if you're a Christian, if you have repented and trusted Jesus, is that something you're grateful for every morning or is it something that you have come to take for granted? The answer to that question will determine our obedience. Our view of Christ, our view of our salvation will determine what we do with and for Christ every day. If you wake up in a state where, man, God was supposed to save me. I've been doing this Christian life for a while. It's supposed to happen. Then you'll go through your life and Jesus won't really be somebody worth listening to because you've fallen out of love with your first love, as he said in Revelation. But if you and I wake up every day realizing the greatness and the goodness of having eternal hope, not just hope in this world, but hope eternally, we can wake up every day, put our feet on the ground, and know that, that the devil is mad. We're up and moving because we're going to do something for the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen tonight? Are you grateful? Or are you numb to it? This is the best question you can ask in Scripture. Let's keep going. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's an incredible response for those who don't know Jesus. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved the gospel is not just for you, it's for you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. <laughs> this is amazing. Verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized, showing publicly that they had gotten saved. And then verse 34, it says, he brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Isn't it an amazing thing to see somebody get saved and then take the gospel back to their family? Isn't that amazing? So let's talk about a few things from this that stand out to me, and we'll see what stands out to you. Here's number one that stands out to me when I study this. Be a blessing no matter your circumstances. Be a blessing no matter your circumstances. I believe this is a great truth from Acts chapter 16. I believe it's a great truth from Scripture as a whole when you look at the entire Bible. That the first thing we can learn from Paul and Silas in this moment is to be a blessing no matter our circumstances. What I've always loved about this text is that at the very beginning at midnight when they're in jail, they're praising and they're worshiping God. By our standards, they haven't been blessed yet. They're still in jail. They're locked up. There's no hope it looks like. They've been serving Jesus and it's led them to a jail cell. They've been doing the right thing, and while the wicked prosper, the righteous, it seems, are in jail. And yet still at midnight, they are praising and worshiping, and nothing is going to stop them from praising and worshiping. And this is an incredible reminder as we look at our series as a whole, isn't it? As you look back over the five weeks that we've had, as we've walked through Acts, and we've talked about Peter and John seeing the lame man start to go from limping to leaping, right, from paralyzed to praising. It's an amazing thing to think about this great truth, that your circumstances don't dictate your worship. That's an amazing thing. Students, lean in with me. Don't miss this. It's an amazing thing to realize that your circumstances should not dictate your worship. But here's the great truth. Your worship has the power to dictate your circumstances. 
What that means is that means your posture and your view of God and the way you choose to live and the way you choose to praise has the power to change your circumstances. But the great thing about the character of God, the character of God is that our circumstances don't change the character of God. And that's what they realize in this jail cell. They realize that, hey, even though our circumstances are tough, our God is the same. And maybe that's your word tonight for you. That even though your circumstances are tough, your God is the same. We say same God tonight. That we have the same God who led Moses and the Israelites through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, is the same God you know and you love and who loves you. Same God. So hear me, no matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what trial or hardship, I'm not downplaying it, believe me. I understand. However, your circumstances do not change the character of God. It's the character of God that will get you through your circumstances. It's him being your rock-solid foundation. That's why you can praise in any situation. That's why you can praise. You heard me mention Job a minute ago. Nobody suffered in the Bible like Job except Jesus. Job suffered, lost everything. And still, he chose to cling a hold to the Lord and to do what was right. And in the end, he found favor because of that. I think about Nehemiah and the persecution that he faced as he tried to do God's will. God called him to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and immediately he faces opposition when he's there. Students, we should not be surprised when we do God's work in a fallen world that that fallen world retaliates back. When you choose to be faithful to God, the world is going to oppose that. Now think about Paul, who, and I don't have this on the screen, but I think about Paul in Acts chapter 20, what we're not going to get to in this series. Sadly, he says in Acts 20, verse 24, an amazing verse. You may be familiar with it. He says this in Acts 20, 24, but I consider my life of no value to myself, my purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That for Paul, he had come to this eternal perspective in his life that he wasn't living for circumstances anyway. Circumstances were not what he was chasing. Do you hear what I'm saying? I think some of us are missing it still. I might be missing it. Hear me. Whether we realize it or not, a lot of us are chasing circumstances. Here's what I mean. We're trying to escape worry and stress. And we think, if I can just get over this thing that's stressing me out, then life will be all good. We're chasing a circumstance. We're chasing an external situation. Man, if I can get rid of this one coworker that won't shut their mouth, that just annoys me, Makes me go crazy. If this one coworker just quits or gets transferred, my life would be great. We're chasing a circumstance. Man, if I can just get the money that I feel like I need, if I can just get the job I feel like I want, we're chasing a circumstance. Those things aren't aren't bad to pursue, but I'll tell you this. They make a really, really bad God. (laughs) Your job can be a great job. It's going to make a really bad God. (laughs) Your friends can be great friends. They're not going to be good at being God for you. How can you and I put them in that place? See, we're chasing circumstances. Paul got to a point in his real life where he realized circumstances of Safi are not what I am chasing. I am not chasing after any circumstance. I'm not chasing after any season. I'm not chasing after trials to go away so that I can have peace. Paul was chasing after Christ because he realized in Christ, his circumstances don't have any power over him. 
That's why some of us in this room feel like however the day goes is how we go. And man, that's a tiring way to live. It's tiring for you to base your day on how your coworkers are doing. It's hard for you to base your day on how your trials are doing. It's hard for you to base your day on the money you got in your account. It's hard for you to base your day on how people are responding to you on social media. Why? Because that fluctuates up and down. You have a lot of good days and you have a lot of bad days. But in Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your rock and your foundation. They do not change when you have Christ. And when you are standing on Christ, your circumstances truly do not matter. That's why Paul and Silas are at, are at this point where they can praise in prison. It's not that they're happy to be in prison. It's that their circumstances don't have any power over them. Christ has all the power. And if he has called you to be persecuted for your faith, then you trust him in that. And you hold on to that. And when he calls you to the mountaintop when everything is going great, praise him for it. Because no mountaintops last forever and no valleys last forever. But God does and he's in both of them. <laughs> And he loves you in both of them. And he's faithful in both of them. And he's walking with you in both of them. So in no matter your circumstances, the great challenge for us is to be a blessing. Because Paul and Silas, though they don't know it, remember, we have the knowledge of reading the whole thing. As they're sitting in prison, they don't know that the prison is about to shake and open. They don't know the outcome of this situation. All they know is the God of their situation. They don't know that a freedom is coming like this. They don't know the prison is about to shake. They're just praising him because he's with them. And them being there is a whole lot bigger than just them. Because in this moment, as they're content right where they are, as they're praising God, that's when God chooses to shake things up. Man, costumes, I want to tell you, there, there's a real possibility that whatever circumstance you're in right now, think about the one that you have, the, the, the thing that's ha hanging over your head, the trial, the worry, the, the thing that's hurting you, the, the external situation you're in. There's a real great possibility that you are in that moment right now because God wants you to lean into him. I'm not saying God causes everything bad for you, no. But when trials do happen because we live in a fallen world, that it's in that moment God is saying, would you depend on me and not you? Maybe he's saying to you, don't place your faith on just escaping that circumstance, place your faith in me in the midst of that circumstance and watch what I do with it. So Paul and Silas, they're praising, they're worshiping, prisoners are listening. Their circumstances don't dictate their joy. Their joy is rock solid. Is that you tonight? Or are you as up and down as the waves? Are you high and low? Man, whatever happens to you that day, that's how you're going to be. And the sad part about a series like this, about being a blessing, about serving others and loving others, is when you put your faith in circumstances and they go wrong, you and I won't be a blessing to anybody. When our faith is in our circumstances, when our faith is in things going well, we will always resort back to selfishness. Whenever our eyes aren't on God, when our eyes are on our trials, we, we always resort back to selfishness. We miss people around us. We miss the reason why we're around annoying coworkers. We miss the reason why we're in a college classroom. It's all about getting the grade, isn't it? Whenever you're stressed, whenever you're anxious about school and getting that degree and, and getting the grade you want, and that's your God. That's all you can see in that moment. It sure is hard to share the gospel with classmates, isn't it? You're just in there with AirPods trying to make it through, trying to get the grade, trying to get the degree. And then you get the degree and you look back on it and you're like, man, this is great, but 
God had me in those classrooms for a reason, and I sure didn't miss it while I was there. I won't ever see those people again. You go through your job, and you work there, and you've got these coworkers. And sometimes you talk good about them. Sometimes you talk bad about them. And then one day they're not there no more. Their life was taken. And you realize, man, every day I had with them that I thought was such a burden was actually a blessing because God was putting me right there as the one to share the gospel with them. And I missed that opportunity because I was thinking about what they did for me, which I didn't like, not what I could do for them, which could change their life. Can you and I, when we are built on Christ, be a blessing no matter our circumstances? You look at scripture, Jesus, as he is hanging on the cross, as he has been crucified, as he is giving up his life, you were on his mind. And I think about the moment where he was carrying his cross and they're spitting him and they're mocking him. And I think about the moment where Jesus prays. In the worst earthly, the worst physical situation you can be in, he's about to be crucified and he prays, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I think about my life and how Jesus can be in the midst of a crucifixion and still be a blessing enough to pray for the ones crucifying him. And you and I, you and I, because we're in it together, you and I can't get out of our own way to tell somebody about Jesus when we're having a bad day. College students, there is so much more to the Christian life. And there's so much more to your life. There is so much more to your life than what meets the eye. There is a supernatural reason for everywhere you go, every role you have, every class you're in, every job you work, every room you enter. I'm not over-exaggerating when I tell you every room you enter, there's a supernatural reason for why you are there. There is no place you go that God does not have a plan for how he can use you in that space. No place. Everywhere you go, God is looking. How can I use him? How can I use her? The gospel didn't start with you, and it sure shouldn't end with you. It shouldn't end with me. So let me ask you, can you and I say this? Can we be a blessing to family, no matter our circumstances? Can we be a blessing to classmates, no matter our circumstances? Can we be a blessing to our neighbors? Can we be a blessing to our coworkers? Can we be a blessing to somebody else here tonight? no matter our circumstances. Paul and Silas, they sing. The jail cell opens. Everything's going crazy. <laughs> and I love this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. You can write this reference down. It says this. It'll be on the screen. It says, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. College students, Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, when he says, you will have everything you need because of God's grace overflowing. And look, there's an outcome, there's a purpose to it. The outcome and the purpose is that you may excel in every good work. What is that good work? It's telling people about Jesus. That's the good work. It is. I love discipleship. I disciple a few guys. It's my favorite time of the week to sit down with them and talk through God's word. But my greatest purpose is not teaching them how to be a better Christian. My greatest purpose is telling people who aren't that Christ loves them. And everything else that flows from that is amazing. He says, you will not be short on every good work. That good work is loving your parents when they don't give you what you need. 
That good work is loving your coworkers when they get on your last nerve. That coworker, that blessing is opening your mouth and telling people about Jesus. I love Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says this is very fitting for where he is right now. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In other words, there's no circumstance of suffering that is even worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Romans 12, 12, Paul goes further to say this. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. One of the verses that I read when I was at a public park, 21 years old, the day after Christmas, deciding whether I was actually going to try Christianity all the way in. I was your classic, 365 days, one foot in, one foot out, coming to this church, listening to Brother Steve, going home, living whatever life I wanted to live in college. I was your classic case of desperate for some kind of Jesus, but not enough to where I would ever call myself a follower of his. Very desperate. And my greatest hangup about becoming a Christian, I'd gotten past at that point the title I, I did not want to be called a Christian. I didn't want to be associated with a church. I, I, I hated it and I didn't want it. I got past that. I got past the whole sin thing. I had realized I was a sinner. <laughs> I knew it. You didn't have to tell me. I knew it and I knew my sins. I got to that point. The final thing that was holding me up from being a Christian was actually letting God tell me, here it is, what to do with my life. That was my final hangup. I remember, the, I remember Christmas Day 2015 saying, man, whew, I know I'm a sinner. I know the church is a good thing in some way, but I can't let God have everything. Because I knew, man, I knew. I had heard enough sermons. I knew if I told God I'm all in, you have it your way, I knew my life was going to change. And the day after Christmas, I got in my car, the O2 Ford Focus. I drove out to a park. I laid down, face down on the ground, and I prayed a prayer I've never prayed in my life. I got down on my, on my face on the ground, and I said, Lord... You have my life. You have every part of it. I'm not just giving you my heart. I'm giving you my agenda. I'm giving you my plan. I'm giving you my year. I'm giving you my years. And I prayed this in that moment. I had never thought about this until I prayed it. I said, Lord, I'm giving you all of it, and you don't got to tell me what you're going to do with it. I'm just going to follow. And I said, where did that come from? I was like, whoo, I don't know if I had that kind of faith. And I was like, I just said it to God, so we're in now. And I got up off the ground. A cool breeze came over because it was midnight, Devon. It was late at night, and I opened my Bible, had no idea any difference between the Old Testament or New Testament, and I flipped to Psalm 32, verse 8, and it says this. It says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Your testimony is yours, but mine is mine. And since December 26, 2015, life's been hard. Ministry hasn't always been great. But one thing that I can say is that since that day that I prayed that prayer, this verse has never not been true in one day. There has never been a moment in my life that God has not instructed me, that he has not shown me the way to go, that I have felt his eye not on me. Anytime a major season of life happened, like taking over the view or getting married, his counsel was present and loved ones were around. He has been all that I needed. Is that your story and is that your testimony? There's a lot of things asking for your ear. Social media is asking to have primary influence over you. Celebrities want primary, primary influence over you. 
There's people that want primary influence over you. There's people of the opposite sex that want primary influence over you. They want to be the biggest voice in your life. I want to tell you, there is no voice that can do for you or will have your best interest and his glory in mind like the voice of God. But there are a lot of things and there are a lot of people in this world that will lead you astray and could not say this. Don't place your faith in your circumstances. Don't place your faith in people. Don't place your faith in a pastor. Don't place your faith in a building. Place your faith in God and every circumstance is worth rejoicing. Not only number one, let's keep going. Number two, be a blessing to people who are hurting. Be a blessing to people who are hurting. It's very simple. It's hard to live out. The church has often missed it over the years. I'm not talking about Bellevue. I'm talking about the church as a whole, and this is why some people don't like the church. It's because we've missed the people we're supposed to minister to. The church is not a country club for people who are exclusive and got it all figured out. It's a hospital for the sick. It's where people go who need help, who need Jesus, every one of us. None of us ever make it out of that. You never reach an age where you don't need God's grace. You never reach a season where you don't need God's grace. You never reach any sort of ministry experience where you don't need the grace or power of God, ever. And so be a blessing to people who are hurting. Now, look with me here. Let's reread verse 27. It says, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28 says, but Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we are all here. The ministry of Jesus was one of meeting needs. Everywhere Jesus went, he met needs. He met physical needs. He met emotional needs. And most of all, he met spiritual needs. He has provided for us hope, freedom, and salvation most of all. Jesus came to this earth for the sick, for those who have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means all of us are in need of the great physician. All of us are in need of the great Messiah, the one who can save us. And I want to tell you that your life and the value of your life, when it's all said and done, when you and I have our funeral, when you and I are no more on this earth, the work that you and I do that will last for eternity is the gospel we shared, the people we've led to the Lord, the people that we have discipled, the people that we have loved. What will last past our funeral is not the money that we obtain, the, the fame that we bring in for ourselves, not the acceptance of people. What will last past your funeral will be the eternal work that you do. And the best thing that you can do is be a blessing to those who are hurt. When the jailer is about to kill himself, what I love about this moment is that Paul and Silas, they had this great blessing happen to them, which is what we all want. All of us in here, if we're honest tonight, I hope we'll be honest and raw in this place. All of us want so badly to be blessed. I do. I ain't got no shame in saying it. I love, I love when God blesses me. I love when my car starts. That's a blessing. When the old Ford Explorer makes it upstage, that's a blessing. Thanks, Decoat. I've been driving him around, too. I love when the Lord blesses me with something I'm not expecting. I love when he brings somebody into my life that's kind and sensitive and wants to be my friend. I love when the Lord blesses me, and you love when the Lord blesses you too. And please don't read the Bible in this moment and miss the blessing God's offering. 
They have no other option. They got guards watching. They're chained up. They're in a jail cell. They have no other option. When the door is open, okay, imagine being in that moment. That's truly one of the greatest blessings you could have. God has just freed these people when nobody else could free them. I mean, that's amazing. And I don't know about you, but I think if I was in that jail cell, I would have beat Silas out. I would have been far out of that jail cell before they even turned the lights on. I would have been gone like, well, God has offered this blessing. Woo, let me take it. Like, I'm not going to turn this down. I'm not staying in here when God's opened these doors. And when he does that, we jump on the blessings he gives us in our life today. When somebody wants to bless us financially, we don't sit and think about it for a minute. Somebody doesn't come to us with an envelope and say, hey, man, I really wanted to give you a gift today. And we're like, you know, let me really process this and see if I need it. You mind if I pull up my budget and see how I'm looking? You know, we like, hey, praise God. You got anything else in there you want to bless me with? You know, I'm like, college student, I'm trying to eat. We take the blessing. And Paul and Silas, they don't take it. By our standards, they stay. Jail cell opens, and they stay. They don't run. Their immediate thought process is, God's opened up a door. I'm not supposed to walk through it alone. I hope somebody hears this tonight. God's blessed me, Aliana. I'm not supposed to have this just for myself. <laughs> they get a blessing and they realize this ain't really about me. So they stay. Immediately in Paul's mind, the light switch, I believe, flips on. This has a purpose that's far greater than me just walking out the door. And that's the heart of this series, that you and I, when we're blessed by God, we don't just take it and run with it. We don't just take it and say, man, God's good. Let me move on. But every blessing we take, every blessing we get, every good and perfect thing we have from above is for us to be a blessing. That when God opens a door in your life that nobody else could open, there's probably somebody right there who needs you. That if you ever get any favor from God, if you get an opportunity from God, that opportunity is not for you. It's for something greater than just you. Remember the first time I ever got asked to preach on a Sunday morning at Bellevue, I was like, why in the world would they ask me? I was 27 years old, young. I talk weird. I talk funny. I was like, they're going to have a hard time adjusting to me in there. And I cannot, I cannot tell you the amount of families who, when I thought I was writing sermons for college students, had come up and said, man, that word was for me. And I'm like... I never even thought about your situation. I can't believe that word spoke to you in that. I never even thought of that. Because God wasn't giving just me an opportunity. He was giving me an opportunity to help somebody. That every blessing you get is an opportunity for you to be a blessing. You start shifting that mindset. You start seeing miracles happen. So they don't run. They stay. And what I love is when Paul responds and he says, don't harm yourself. He doesn't say we're both here. He doesn't say me and Silas are here. He says we're all here. Because the prisoners who were just listening to them worship God, they don't run out either. These lost prisoners, they're just listening. They don't know God. They don't run either. They stay. They say, look, we've been listening to these guys. They're not running. They got our attention. So we're going to stay. Isn't it amazing how you worship God? It doesn't just influence your actions. It can influence the actions of others. How you make much of his name can impact how others make much of his name and they stay and they give up don't miss this they give up the quick physical freedom offered to them because they get to help somebody else find spiritual freedom yesterday Bellevue's 11 o'clock service I was down front for the invitation man we had a heavy heavy service yesterday we found out at the end of the service that Tim Shelton had passed away 
And so pastor, our pastor here at Bellevue announced it at the end of the service. And you could hear crying and weeping all around the room. I mean, we had been praying for him in that service. Pastor had mentioned, I mean, even during his sermon, you could hear crying, you could hear weeping. I mean, the room was hurt yesterday. Our entire room, and it's a big room. And people in that room who probably weren't even Bellevue members were just hurting because of what had happened so unexpectedly. I've never had this happen in invitation. I haven't even been able to tell my wife this yet. I had a, a mom come up with two itty-bitty sons. I mean, these, these kids are like this tall. I mean, they're itty-bitty. And they walk up to me for invitation. I'm down front. I'm standing like right here. It's for people to come forward for healing. We anoint them with oil, symbolic of what Scripture says in the Bible for healing. We pray over people and we talk to them about church membership or if they want to give their lives to Jesus is what we do. And this mom walks up, and normally whenever somebody comes up with parents, they're always looking at me in the eye to tell me why their kid wants to come down. A lot of times the mom will come up and she'll say, hey, my son, this is little Jimmy. We've been praying for him, and he wants to give his life to Jesus today. You know, and you do the knee, and you're like, hey, tell me why you want to come down here, you know? And they're like, I want to give my life to Jesus. And you're like, praise the Lord, you know? They sit there, they heard it in service, and they're choosing to make a decision. This eight-year-old walks up. Mom doesn't look at me at all, but the eight-year-old is right here with me the whole time. I've never had this happen in invitation. This eight-year-old walks up to me, and he looks at me, and I'm realizing, all right, the mom doesn't want to say anything to me. She wants me to go straight to the, ch- to the kid. So I turned to the kid. I said, what's up, man? He said, my name's Zach. I said, what's up, man? I'm Daniel. I said, what made you come down here? And he goes, everybody is really hurt. And I'm like, I'm listening. I'm trying to understand. The music's loud. I'm trying to understand. He said, everybody's hurting. I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody in here is so sad. He sat through this whole service. He sees people crying, weeping. He, you don't know what kids understand until you have a conversation with them sometimes. He said, everybody's hurting. I said, yeah, man, they are. And he says this to me at eight years old. He says, I want to pray for people to stop hurting. Just talk. And I said, in this moment, the Spirit of God laid it on my heart louder than a voice. He said, let the kid pray. Not just me pray, because a lot of times you'll pray for the family. He said, let the kid pray. And so I said, you want to pray for everybody in the room? And he said, yeah. And we bowed our heads, and he begins praying. And he prays a prayer I don't think I've prayed. This eight-year-old. And he starts praying. He goes, God, everybody is hurting, and you see it. I want everybody to be okay. Help everybody in here. And then he says this, and I don't know if he understands what he's saying or not, but he says this. He says, even if I got to give up me, help them to be okay. And I'm sitting here looking at this kid. He's praying, his eyes are shut, and I'm just staring at him. He says, even if I have to give up me, myself, help everybody in this room. And we say, amen. I say, you understand what you just prayed? He's like, yeah. I said, what did you just pray? He said, that I would give up myself if everybody will stop crying and be okay in Jesus. <laughs> I get the rest of their names. I pray for them a minute. And I tell them, thank you for coming up here. And I realize in that moment how deep the gospel is that you can study it for a whole lifetime and still not understand everything. Yet it's shallow enough for an eight-year-old to understand everybody's not okay in this world. Jesus is the only answer. And if I got to give up myself for that to happen, I'll do it. (laughs) That's a truth I wish at 29 years old I could pray. 
I think about Romans chapter 9 when Paul is speaking about the salvation of his brothers and sisters. And he says, I would give up my salvation. Even I would wish that I would be cursed if all my brothers and sisters could be blessed. And I couldn't imagine praying that prayer and meaning it, but I want to. Do you? Your life and the value of your life does not come down to what God does for you. It comes down to how you allow yourself to be used by him. How greatly your salvation affects others. How greatly your blessings affect others. Now let's get practical from this text. Here's the first thing. A, the ministry of presence. There is no better way to be a blessing to people than the ministry of presence. When you go to the hospital and there's a family there grieving, they don't need you to say a word. They don't need to hear you give them a solution to the situation. They don't need you to have the right answer. They don't need you to give every single thing. They just sometimes need you to be present. If you've ever been in the hospital and you've been there with a loved one, you understand. You don't need people to come give you the X, Y, Z about it. You just need people to be there. And this is a great thing that the season of college allows you to do is that you get to have a ministry of presence. You are around people every day who start realizing they're a sinner and they need some sort of help. You're around them. You're around people who are losing loved ones. You're around people who are losing jobs. You're around people who are hurting, who are struggling with depression and anxiety and loneliness. And you having a presence in their life can be the thing that changes their life because they see Christ in you. The ministry of presence. As you think about the people in your life, do you see a way that you can be present? See, all of a sudden, when your coworkers don't act right, when you're not excited about the class you're going to, but you realize that your presence there might be how God is using you, it's a whole lot easier to show up when you don't want to. The alarm clock isn't as hard to hit, even though that snooze button sure does, sure does help in the mornings. The ministry of presence. Not just that, though. Be the ministry of encouragement. So Paul and Silas in this moment, and I love these next two subpoints. They're present. They don't leave, they stay, and the first thing they tell them, they say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Oh, how good it is to be encouraged when we live in a world that constantly takes courage. We live in a world that constantly discourages. But not just that, I want to give you see the ministry of exhortation. I used to tell some of my team back in the day that encouragement and exhortation go together. Encouragement oftentimes is a pat on the shoulder. Exhortation is a push. <laughs> exhortation is coaching. Exhortation is telling your loved ones who they could be in Christ or what they can do for his kingdom. Exhortation is pushing people to do what they're skilled and gifted and talented to do. It's pushing them to be the best they can be in Christ. Encouragement is a pat. Exhortation is a push. You can't have one without the other. You push too much, people rebel. You pat too much, people do whatever. As a coach, as a ministry leader, you have to encourage and you have to exhort. One of my favorite moments in Scripture is when Paul, who we're reading about tonight, does both with Timothy. I want you to see this. His disciple, his child in the faith, Timothy, when he writes the letter to him, he offers him a really incredible encouragement that is also an exhortation at the same time. Look at this moment. He says, you therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. And then Paul brings it down. He says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now he gets to the point. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. He's literally in jail as we read tonight. And then he says, but the word of God is not bound. Look at this statement. Look at this. But it's a different Christianity than what we see sometimes in America. The word of God is not bound. I'm bound like a criminal, but the word of God has no limitations. You can lock me up, but you can't lock up the spirit of God. You can't lock up the word of God. That's why for 2,000 years, the gospel is still changing lives. He says to Timothy, it's an exhortation. Even when you suffer to the point of being a criminal, even when your life is hard, the word of God is not bound. When the world ties you up, the word of God is still free. And sometimes when you and I are being persecuted, that is the most that God wants to do with the gospel is in situations like that. He then goes on to say this. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And then verse 13, an incredible verse. I hope that you will remember this this week. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. They do this with the jailer. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer's entire life and the entire trajectory of his family changes because he meets Jesus Christ and he receives the gospel. An entire household, an entire generation is changed because the gospel of Christ knows no bounds. How can God use you? We talked about being on mission last week. A lot of you raised your hand for it. We talked about being a missionary. How can God use you in people's life to be a blessing? Not just to encourage, not just to exhort, but to do this. Number three, if you be a blessing, you'll lead people to Christ. That is the great outcome. This is what will happen. This is the greatest blessing. If you be a blessing, you'll lead people to Christ. It may take months. It may take years you will see the fruit of your labor. If you love them when nobody else is loving them, if you're present when nobody else is present, if you encourage and exhort when nobody else wants to encourage and exhort them, if you verbally tell them the gospel and then you also tell it by the way you live, I guarantee you, you will directly see people ask you this question, what must I do to be saved? That people would look at your life and see a radiating joy and say, how do I get that for myself? you'll see people get saved. Conscience, I hope that this series stays with you a lot longer than just six weeks. I hope that this series will shape and mold the way you live for years to come. That in everything you say and do, your life is not yours. It was purchased at a cost. And that cost was Jesus.
and his blood. And he loves you. He has a plan for you. Romans tells us that he is working all things out for your good and for his glory. And he is working out whatever you have right now.